Blog Talk Radio. Doing what they're supposed to be doing. 
Uh, and as you know, we work through this thing, uh, I think what I'm seeing is an enormous amount of volunteerism, uh, people caring for one another in their communities, taking care of the elderly and our first responders. We've talked uh, just in the last half hour about the shortage of protective equipment, ventilators, those medical supplies that are so needed in the battle against this virus. The Surgeon General was pointing out that uh, you don't need to in invoke the Defense Production Act because companies are coming forward and voluntarily meeting that need. I know you feel that it should be invoked. What do you say to that argument? Well, with all due respect to the Surgeon General, the truth is that I was on the phone yesterday talking to companies, and here's what I ran into. In one case, we're competing for ventilators with FEMA and the federal government. So Illinois is bidding for ventilators against the federal government. In another case, we were bidding against foreign countries and other states. And so what's happening to not just on ventilators, but on all the PPE that we need, prices are being ratcheted up and we're competing against each other on what should be a national crisis where we should be coming together and the federal government should be leading, helping us. Look, we're, we're willing to pay reasonable retail prices for the things that we need, but the federal government needs to say to all the companies in the United States that produce these goods that they're going to buy them all together and distribute them across the states. How would the Defense Production Act alleviate that particular concern about the, for lack of a better way to put it, the price gouging or feeling that prices are getting jacked up as you're competing with all of these different entities? Well, it allows the federal government to, first of all, be a single purchaser for everybody, to bring down prices, first of all. Second of all, it allows the federal government to put the United States first. When I'm competing with foreign countries for my state's needs to keep the people of the United States alive, that's just wrong. And the president, although he says he's invoked the uh, Production Act, the National Defense Production Act, uh, he signed something, but then he hasn't actually invoked it with regard to companies. He says he wants to be partners with those companies. Well, that's great. I want them to get a fair price for their goods. But we need ventilators. We need N95 masks. The federal government isn't providing most of that to the states. We're out there competing against each other. It shouldn't work that way. Okay, like Governor, uh, Governor, last night, I believe it was yesterday, the Democrats in Congress blocked this latest uh, almost $2 trillion uh, aid package on the basis that, according to Democrats, it had slush fund, what they call it a pejorative term, too much money to corporations, not enough to regular folks. My question to you, though, people. is people are desperate. They need this money. They need this help. Is this the time to have these kinds of arguments, or should it be fast-tracked, essentially? Well, we certainly need another stimulus put in place. I think some of the lessons of 2008 need to be learned, though. The money really needs to get in the hands of the middle class, the working class, and, and people who really need it, and the states, by the way, who are providing services to people who are now out of work and, and those who are developmentally disabled and others. Because remember, our revenues in the states are dropping precipitously because people are out of work and, and businesses have closed. And we are increasing our expenditures in order to take care of people across the, the United States. So we need another stimulus, no doubt about it. Uh, there shouldn't be an argument, but yeah. the argument, uh, but, but the truth is that this well, how long do you want Democrats should be to about hold this average line. people. Say it again. Yeah, yeah. I, I said, how long, though, do you want your colleagues in, in, in the Senate to hold this line, you know, and make this point? Well, I mean, I, what do you, you know, how long? Look, they should resolve this today. There's no doubt about it. But, but needlessly handing billions of dollars uh, to companies when you could put it in the hands of average folks or into the hands of states that are providing services uh, seems, you know, illogical to me. Yeah. Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker, thank you very much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. All right. Thank Lori Nightfoot on the George Wilder Jr. Show. Lori Nightfoot. Mayor Lori Nightfoot. That's wrong. <laughs> the wrong button, folks. Here we go. All right. Let's get to Mayor Lori Lightfoot, expecting her to speak at any minute. I am reading through her speech as we speak. There will be an extension of the closure of CPS schools. 
They will extend the closure until April 20th. I'm reading from her speech. Let's listen in. Tonight I want to discuss how our great, strong, and resilient city is responding to the unprecedented coronavirus. The impact it's already having on our daily lives, as well as things we should be doing to weather this fierce storm. We start by not forgetting who we are as a people. As Chicagoans, we have faced down many challenges before. We have seen heat waves and polar vortexes, fought through recessions, depressions, and two world wars. And when our city burned to the ground in a great fire, a fire that one historian noted started on DeCoven Street near Halstead and Roosevelt, and it burned over four square miles of our city from the central business district and government buildings, slum areas and neighborhoods of the wealthy, theaters, churches, and sporting houses, and more. We rose from the ashes the very next day to grow bigger and stronger than we had ever been before. We learned from each of these challenges over the decades, and we baked into the lessons learned our preparedness efforts. In each of these tragedies and crises, every single time, heroic Chicagoans of every stripe, young, old, of every race, color, and creed, have risen up and said, how can I help? And we have united and moved forward together. Resiliency and resolve are baked into our DNA. And as a people, this is our moment to prove ourselves and to a nation that in Chicago, we may get bent, but we will never be broken. Let's talk about some specifics about the virus itself and our efforts to combat it. The threat posed by the coronavirus, or COVID-19, is real and growing. I want you to know that we have been and will continue to be aggressively tackling the threat this poses to you and your loved ones. Our Department of Public Health started tracking this virus when the first reports started coming from China in December, almost four months ago. As we prepared for this virus coming to the U.S., and specifically Chicago, our public health and emergency management teams drew upon lessons learned last summer when many city departments and partners participated in a full-scale drill in which we were called upon to respond to a pandemic virus whose circumstances closely mirrored the challenge we are facing today. Public health's daily work consists of gathering and analyzing data on this outbreak from hospitals, physicians, labs, and working in coordination with our counterparts at the county and the state an all-in, full-out, comprehensive effort to contain the spread of this virus and protect those most vulnerable to it. This data analysis and investigative work has and will continue to inform our response, ensuring it is as effective as possible and allowing us to direct our resources where they are most needed. I want you to be able to lay your head down at night, comforted by the fact that we are ready to meet this challenge. We prepare all year long for crises so that when it comes to our door, we are tested and ready. And we have and will continue to rise up to meet this unprecedented challenge. Our incredible public health commissioner, Dr. Allison Arwady, has built her career around addressing infectious diseases all over the world, working to tackle Ebola in West Africa, MERS in Saudi Arabia, and HIV and tuberculosis in Botswana. She worked on response to H1N1 and SARS. Remember those? And Allison and her incredible team of public health are ready. Tune into her daily updates on Facebook Live on The Doctor Is In at 11 a.m. daily, and do check chicago.gov forward slash coronavirus for the most up-to-date information. And our first responders, police, fire, EMTs, call takers, and dispatchers. They run to danger every day and meet you in your most distressed moments. They too are ready. And I must acknowledge our fearless healthcare workers, doctors and nurses, yes, but also the aides and orderlies, the cooks and janitors, the volunteers, and everyone in the healthcare chain who are making great personal sacrifices every day on our behalf, thank you, thank you, thank you. 
And last, but certainly not least, special thanks and prayers go to our people who are the fabric of our social safety network, our libraries, parks, community service centers, and the social workers and others, all of whom staff these facilities are vital in providing a place for people in need now more than ever. What do we see as the next steps in fighting this virus? A couple of important things that I will mention here. First, we have repeatedly asked throughout this crisis that if you are sick, stay home. Most of you have listened, but some have not. And those of you that have not, have not only put yourselves at risk, you are endangering the public. We have documented an increasing number of cases in which sick people went to their workplace and got other people sick with the coronavirus. Today, at my direction, the Department of Public Health issued an order that until further notice, if you are sick with respiratory symptoms like cough, fever, or shortness of breath, but also, and importantly, if you are beginning to feel sick, body aches, fatigue, sore throat, you too are ordered to stay home unless seeking medical care or other essentials like food. If you violate this order, there have to be consequences. Please be smart, be safe, and stay home if you are sick. That's an order. Let me also repeat, if you are a member of a vulnerable population, that means people over 60, but especially, especially people with underlying medical conditions, stay home if at all possible. Put your health first and don't put yourselves or others at risk. Now I know these restrictions are causing hardships, but we are doing this to save lives, pure and simple. We have seen what these extreme measures have yielded in places like Japan and Singapore. Those countries have started bending the arc of the virus, and China is reporting progress for the first time. These measures work, and we need them now as this virus progresses here in Chicago. Next, let me address the anxiety that many are feeling about the status of our schools. As you know, on Tuesday of this week, schools were closed through March 30th by order of the governor, who closed all schools, public and private, across the state. In consultation with Dr. Arwady and Dr. Janice Jackson and her team at CPS, given what we anticipate as the continued upward trajectory of the virus spread, I'm announcing now the Chicago Public Schools will be closed through April 20th with students returning on Tuesday, April 21st. We need to give parents and guardians plenty of advance notice about this reality and the ability to plan. CPS and the city will continue to support you in the ways that they have through these early days of the school closures. A thousand thanks of gratitude to everyone inside and outside of CPS who have been stepping up for our kids and our families. I want to especially thank those who have contributed to the fund to support food services for CPS families, notably Ken Griffin, who today donated $2.5 million, $1 million to CPS and $1.5 million to the Greater Chicagoland Foods Depository. Ken and others are exhibiting extraordinary civic leadership at its finest. Let's talk dollars and cents for a moment. No question that our local economy is being hit hard by this crisis. Most notable is our hospitality industry, conventions, hotels, restaurants, bars, and other forms of entertainment and service industries are suffering. Many have shared the immediate issues of cash shortages, concerns about making payroll, and for many, the very survival of your business is in question. We also see the needs of our airlines, airports, and the related businesses that depend upon air transportation every day. Our mass transit is also being hit as people appropriately follow the directives to stay home and employers have activated teleworking options for their employees. Know this, we have the incredible benefit of being a strong and diverse economy. In other instances where similar industries were hit, here in Chicago. For example, as a result of 9-11, and more recently, the Great Recession of 2008 and 2009, 
our local economy in Chicago and the region bounce back strong and quickly from these downturns. We are working at all levels of government, local, county, and state, to make sure that the final tale of this economic challenge will be the same, a strong comeback. I will talk more about this in a moment. I have also received a number of questions about city finances and revenue. While this crisis is certainly adversely affecting many parts of our local economy, I want to assure you that our city finances remain strong, and here's why. By design, no single revenue stream is more than 13% of our overall revenues. And what we call economically sensitive taxes, meaning those that are most sensitive to potential downturns, like sale taxes, our share of state income taxes, recreational and hotel taxes. In the aggregate, these taxes make up less than 25% of the revenue streams for our city budget. We have more than sufficient cash on hand, and we prepared for a potential economic downturn as part of the projections we released last year for our 2020 budget. Finally, it helps that we received an unexpected $100 million windfall from refinancing our debt earlier this year. And we are looking at other opportunities to leverage the low interest rates that currently exist. Be aware that we continue to monitor this situation on a daily basis, and our chief financial officer, Jenny Bennett, and her team are on the case. So while city finances are weathering this storm, for many individuals, this is the financial challenge of a lifetime. Here's some immediate steps we have taken to help relieve the burden on you. We have suspended many of the debt collection, ticketing, and impounding practices that the city engages in until April 30th. This includes suspending the booting of cars, late fees and default on payment plans for all city debt. This includes parking tickets, red light camera and speed violations, and utility bills. We will not make any collection efforts until April 30th at the earliest, and we will not be referring you to debt collectors. And accordingly, the Chicago Administrative Courts is continuing all court dates until at least April 30th without any interest penalties. No city debt checks will be conducted for rideshare and taxi drivers, and we are limiting ticking and towing and impounding of vehicles to public safety-related issues. Given the economic pressures that many of you are facing as a government, we are stepping up to do our part to take a brick off your back. We know that this temporary suspension will bring some measure of relief. I want to also note and thank Sheriff Tom Dart, who previously announced that he is delaying enforcement of all eviction orders until April 30th. I call upon all property owners to give tenants some grace wherever possible during these trying times. No one needs the added stress of evictions, certainly not now. Similarly, I call on banks to grant relief from foreclosure efforts during this crisis. Thanks also goes to the Chicago Community Trust and the United Way for setting up the Chicago Community COVID-19 Response Fund, which will provide help on food, rent, and other items of need. Also, as you know, at the beginning of my administration, we ended water shutoffs for residential customers. Water is a basic human right. Today, I took the additional steps and called upon all of our suburban water authority customers, that's 125 suburban communities, to immediately take necessary action to also stop water service disconnections for non-payment as our state grapples with the COVID-19 pandemic. I applaud and thank those communities that have already taken this important step. While we must address the individual needs of our residents during this challenging time, it is also important that at the city level, we also take a leading role in supporting our small businesses. When we support small businesses, we support their workers, who in turn help uplift the vibrancy of our neighborhoods. That is why I am proud to announce the creation of the Chicago Small Business Resiliency Loan Fund. This fund will start with more than $100 million in targeted low-interest loans to severely impacted small businesses. 
These loans are designed to provide much needed cash flow relief for neighborhood entrepreneurs. This is a public-private partnership involving a $25 million grant by the City of Chicago, $50 million in capital by the Chicago Community Catalyst Fund, as well as $10 million from Goldman Sachs Urban Investment Group. Thanks to City Treasurer Melissa Conyers-Irvin for her partnership in this effort, as well as to the Goldman team. I also need to acknowledge and thank Fifth Third Bank, who has pledged $1 million um, to the fund, as well as Bob Clark and his colleagues at Clayco Construction, who have pledged $250,000. We invite, actually we urge others from business, philanthropy, and individuals to contribute to this fund. It is a meaningful way to help our small businesses meet payroll, avoid layoffs, and survive under extraordinarily dire circumstances. In addition to the Resiliency Loan Fund, we are providing further relief to small businesses by extending the due dates for tax payments until April 30th for the following taxes. Bottled water tax, checkout bag tax, amusement tax, hotel accommodation tax, restaurant tax, and the parking tax. I finally want you to know that we are in daily conversations with our federal partners and particularly our Chicago area congressional delegation. Thanks to Senator Durbin and Duckworth and all of the Congress people who touch Chicago for being our champions in Washington, D.C. We have said and they know that federal stimulus packages must bring immediate relief to individuals, not just big businesses, through help like extending and increasing unemployment benefits and more grants and loans to small businesses. Localities like Chicago should not be shouldering this burden alone. Folks, this is a B-sized problem, meaning something that can only be solved with billions in needed stimulus support from the federal government. In closing, let me say this. I am, of course, your mayor, but I am also a wife and a mom. I'm a friend to many and a neighbor. My team and I have worked tirelessly over these last 10 months to build an administration steeped in compassion and empathy, to reflect the realities of your lives and everything we do. And now in this moment that challenges us all, I want you to know that far from abandoning these core principles, we are placing them front and center in everything we do. I care about the people in the city that I may never meet, just as I care about my own family, my beloved friends, and my neighbors that I see every day. We have not shied away from facing hard truths and speaking openly about the need for love. And Chicago, we need to love each other with all our hearts today and every day. While this is a time of physical isolation, we need to stay connected. We need the warmth of smiles, hellos, and thank yous, the words of comfort and acknowledgement that each of us, regardless of our station or circumstances, matters. Gwendolyn Brooks got it right. We are each other's harvest. We are each other's business. We are each other's magnitude and bond. These words are truer today than they have ever been. Our challenge is not over and our work is not done, but we will get through this together because we can and we must. God bless you and our great city. Please be safe.
Donald Trump felt that he was a victim here and that he should get sympathy. And all he did was lie. Okay, the stimulus deal. Will a stimulus deal get done? What? Here's what Congress is fighting for. Obviously, there's both chambers of Congress. You got the House of Representatives. You got the Senate. The Senate passed a stimulus bill of their own, and Democrats turned it down. And if you read the uh, transcripts of the bill, you would know why the Democrats turned it down. It's nothing but taking from the poor and giving to the rich, as I said on the show the other day. It's nothing but enriching people who are already rich. There's nothing there for the poor. There's nothing there for the middle. It's the, the money goes to corporations. If you haven't had a chance to review this bill, or read it, read it. And then you won't have to believe me or Democrats or anybody else who says this bill is nothing but a lot of money going in the pockets of corporations, executives, uh, Trump and and his uh, hoods. This is where uh, the money is going. I'm glad they turned it down. I'm glad because this is not about Corporations. This is not about uh, senators. Uh, this is not about millionaires and billionaires who already are rich, but Trump and McConnell want to give them more and take more from the working class and the poor. So I'm glad uh, uh, they stopped it. They stopped it twice. It was, yeah, they, it might be a third time. That they might pass it. Excuse me. A little sleepy. I guess I'm tired, folks. <laughs> Been working all day. Um, yeah, this is uh, this is phenomenal. Phenomenal. Uh, they have the gall to, to say, "Hey, pass this to Nancy Pelosi," and she's saying, "No, hell no." You, you're lining the pockets of every. Senator in the in in the Senate lining their pockets. Trump is lining his pockets from this bill. You know what I think? I think a lot of them know they're not going to be voted in. A lot of them know they're not going to. Excuse me. A lot of them know they're going to be voted out. So they're trying to line their pockets more before they go. That's the thinking of the George Walter Jr. They know they're going to be kicked out on their asses in November. All signs point to it. There will be a Democratic House, there will be a Democratic Senate, and there will be a Democratic president. They know it. These Republicans, they know it. So Trump is trying to give them, McConnell is trying to give them a windfall. Then we're going to be voted out of here anyway in November, so let's get rich. This is what this is about with these guys. Let's get rich, and let's get rich off the backs of the working people and the poor. Let's take their money and in our bank account. That is what that is all about, folks. You've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. Uh, we still got some things we have to do here. Because you ever look, you ever sit down at your computer and start to do some work, and all of these dialogue boxes start popping up and flying all over the place. It really pisses me off. Yeah, they are trying to. Um, Yeah, it says here a uh, man with coronavirus dies minutes after Reverend phone after a Reverend's phone call. This is just awful. <laughs> I want to quote Joe Biden. He says um, <laughs> he's going to counteract Trump his lies. He's going to be giving daily briefings like Trump and to counteract the lies of Donald Trump. And he said the other day, Trump should stop lying and do his job. I mean, J.B. Prisker, the, the governor of Illinois, said the same thing. Trump 
to stop lying and do his job. But I can tell you this, Trump doesn't like it up there. A lot of us know that. Trump doesn't like the briefing. He'd rather be at his rally. He'd rather be out there at his rally like, um, what's the guy's name? Uh, Rob Reiner, the actor, the director. Rob Reiner said that he'd rather be at his rally shoveling shit. I'm quoting him. And I agree. I do think Trump feels as if he's a fish out of water when he can't do his rallies. But he wants to do his rally. He doesn't feel good or feel right up there on that stage without acting stupid, without saying dumb stuff like he does like he does at his rallies. His rallies, he just a majority of those rallies are where he paid people to come in and listen to that book. Uh, I'm going to say BS. All right, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Blog Talk Radio. Yeah, we are in a situation, folks. Uh, people are predicting when this thing is going to end. If it does end, schools are closed. People are hunkered down. I mean, especially in, in Chicago, it's not um, martial law, okay? People can still go out. People can still go out and pick up groceries and stuff like that, so a few things and go back home. He doesn't want you to think that it's martial law. It's not. Go out. But he would prefer if you stay home so you don't get the virus and you don't pass it on to other people. Which I totally agree. Uh, you've been listening to the George Wilder Jr. Show on Block Talk Radio. Here is a musical break.
my fellow Americans, and happy Lunar New Year. I'm Stacey Abrams, and I'm honored to join the conversation about the state of our union. Growing up, my family went back and forth between lower middle class and working class. Yet even when they came home weary and bone tired, my parents found a way to show us all who we could be. My librarian mother taught us to love learning. My father, a shipyard worker, put in overtime and extra shifts, and they made sure we volunteered to help others. Later, they both became United Methodist ministers, an expression of the faith that guides us. These were our family values, faith, service, education, and responsibility. Now, we only had one car, so sometimes my dad had to hitchhike and walk long stretches during the 30-mile trip home from the shipyards. One rainy night, my mom got worried. We piled in the car and went out looking for him, and we eventually found my dad making his way along the road, soaked and shivering in his shirt sleeves. When he got in the car, my mom asked if he'd left his coat at work. He explained that he'd given it to a homeless man he'd met on the highway. When we asked why he'd given away his only jacket, my dad turned to us and said, I knew when I left that man he'd still be alone, but I could give him my coat because I knew you were coming for me. Our power and strength as Americans lives in our hard work and our belief in more. My family understood firsthand that while success is not guaranteed, we live in a nation where opportunity is possible. But we do not succeed alone. In these United States, when times are tough, we can persevere because our friends and neighbors will come for us. Our first responders will come for us. It is this mantra, this uncommon grace of community that has driven me to become an attorney, a small business owner, a writer, and most recently, the Democratic nominee for governor of Georgia. My reason for running was simple. I love our country and its promise of opportunity for all. And I stand here tonight because I hold fast to my father's credo. Together, we are coming for America, for a better America. Just a few weeks ago, I joined volunteers to distribute meals to furloughed federal workers. They waited in line for a box of food and a sliver of hope since they hadn't received paychecks in weeks. Making livelihoods of our federal workers a pawn for political games is a disgrace. The shutdown was a stunt, engineered by the President of the United States, one that defied every tenet of fairness and abandoned not just our people, 
but our values. For seven years, I led the Democratic Party in the Georgia House of Representatives. I didn't always agree with the Republican speaker or governor, but I understood that our constituents didn't care about our political parties. They cared about their lives. So when we had to negotiate criminal justice reform or transportation or foster care improvements, the leaders of our state didn't shut down. We came together and we kept our word. It should be no different in our nation's capital. We may come from different sides of the political aisle, but our joint commitment to the ideals of this nation cannot be negotiable. Our most urgent work is to realize Americans' dreams of today and tomorrow, to carve a path to independence and prosperity that can last a lifetime. Children deserve an excellent education from cradle to career. We owe them safe schools and the highest standards, regardless of zip code. Yet this White House responds timidly while first graders practice active shooter drills and the price of higher education grows ever steeper. From now on, our leaders must be willing to tackle gun safety measures and face the crippling effect of educational loans to support educators and invest what is necessary to unleash the power of America's greatest minds. In Georgia and around the country, people are striving for a middle class where a salary truly equals economic security. But instead, families' hopes are being crushed by Republican leadership that ignores real life or just doesn't understand it. Under the current administration, far too many hardworking Americans are falling behind, living paycheck to paycheck, most without labor unions to protect them from even worse harm. The Republican tax bill rigged the system against working people. Rather than bringing back jobs, plants are closing, layoffs are looming, and wages struggle to keep pace with the actual cost of living. We owe more to the millions of everyday folks who keep our economy running, like truck drivers forced to buy their own rigs, farmers caught in a trade war, small business owners in search of capital, and domestic workers serving without labor protections. Women and men who could thrive if only they had the support and freedom to do so. We know bipartisanship could craft a 21st century immigration plan, but this administration chooses to cage children and tear families apart. Compassionate treatment at the border is not the same as open borders. President Reagan understood this. President Obama understood this. Americans understand this. And Democrats stand ready to effectively secure our ports and borders. But we must all embrace that from agriculture to health care to entrepreneurship, America is made stronger by the presence of immigrants, not walls. And rather than suing to dismantle the Affordable Care Act, as Republican attorneys general have, our leaders must protect the progress we've made and commit to expanding health care and lowering costs for everyone. My father has battled prostate cancer for years. All right, the George Wilder Jr. show is on the air. Trump just made another goofy remark. People were wondering why Dr. Fonsi, I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, Dr. Fonsi was not at the podium today, at the uh, briefing today. Uh, several briefings back, everybody was used to looking at and listening to Dr. Fonsi. And for some reason, he was not at the podium at the briefing today, uh, yesterday or today. And people were wondering where he was because he was more uh, credible than Donald Trump on this coronavirus thing. And so, uh, so today, Trump answered a lot of the people who were wondering where he was. Why wasn't he at Trump's side like he's always been, uh, giving Americans uh, an up an update on this coronavirus thing, the, the testing and all of that kind of stuff. And Trump said something stupid. He said, the reason why Dr. Fonse, Fonse is not at the briefing room, in the briefing room, at the podium with him, is because he doesn't agree with what he is saying. So there you have it. And I, and I made the statement a, a while ago saying that uh, 
Trump fired him. And this is basically Trump firing him because he doesn't agree with Donald Trump, even though he is a licensed physician, a scientist, many, 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 many years uh, over Trump in these fields, but Trump thinks he knows more than what the scientists know. He thinks he knows more than what the lawyers know. He thinks he knows more than what the doctors know. He doesn't listen to anybody because he thinks he knows. So if you if you if he feels that you know more than him and you're on his team and you're in front of the you're in front of the uh, television camera, he's gonna get pissed and he's gonna fire you. That's what happened to this prominent doctor. He didn't like this doctor. This doctor was getting a lot of praise from the American people. He got rid of him. He got rid of him. And that's what people do. Even in some of these lower level employment um Jobs. People will see somebody, they'll hire somebody who, who is smart and great and beautiful and you know, does his job great, does mind his own business, they fire him because they don't want that. A lot of people do not want things to go right in their company. They don't want things, they want to see things all fucked up. They don't, if they hire somebody that's going to make things all great, they're going to get rid of it. All right, McConnell scorched by New York Times editorial board for tanking the bipartisan efforts on the corona, uh, coronavirus. That's money that they were sending out to everybody. We talked about that before. Yeah, um, Mr. McConnell is a creep. He's, he, him, he together, along with Donald Trump, are destroying the country. Uh, they're sending money out to corporations. They're giving money to the corporations. They're giving money to themselves with the stimulus, more so than the working people, more so than the poor people. They're, you know, it's in the guise of helping America. But what it's really helping, and the Democrats were right, as I mentioned, that it's helping them. They're helping themselves. They're helping corporations. They're helping people who really don't need the money. They're, giving, they're making themselves rich because they know they're going to be voted out of office in November, so why not go out being a millionaire with taxpayer money lying all around in your pocket? Isn't that right, Mitch? It's just uh, astonishing the world that we're in today. America is becoming a third world country under Donald Trump. For real. And I mean for real. If it's not already a and I'm going to talk more about that tomorrow on the George Wilder Jr. show because uh, we're going to get we're going to get off early today, folks. And I hope you don't mind that. Well, whether you're listening now or listening later or podcasting the shows down the road somewhere, great. But I do think these kinds of shows about the coronavirus is so valid. I'm pretty sure other podcasters, other radio. Uh, Shows and radio hosts are doing some of the same things I'm doing, or I'm doing some of the same things they're doing. Is getting the word out about. We we all want to help in some way. At least I do. I'm I'm always willing to help. I use my radio show and my pulpit and my voice and my everything I can to help to try to make the world a better place. That's because that's the mantra of this show: help make the world a better place, no matter how bad it seems or how impossible it seems, but I'm still out there doing it. It's not it's not an effort. It's it, it's just that it's something that is concrete and something that is getting done and something that I'm doing that I want everybody to do around this radio show. So the George Wilder Jr. show and I'm a little bit um picked off about a lot of this stuff that Donald Trump is saying or some of the stuff that he's he's uh shoveling out there, shoveling out to the public. It would seem that Donald Trump um on the right. Seems like everybody around him is getting it and how can he just be so immune? I don't know. He's lying. Um just like remember everybody in the beginning everybody's seen go to jail around Trump, doesn't go. He's immune. 
this is what this seems like. You know, but he's pissed off about uh, being hated. I, I don't know why. <laughs> it took him a long time to get that way, if it's true. Anyway, the George Wilder Jr. show is just about off the air. I got to get off early, folks. That's something that I personally must take care of. I will be back on the show tomorrow, and we will do it until and in its entirety. Love Stacey Abrams. I hope she do run for something at some at some point. This coronavirus is serious. Take it serious. You don't have to go out. Don't go out. If you do go out, keep your distance away from other people. Uh, wear gloves if you can. Wear a mask if you can. Be safe. It's all about being safe. And this thing can't go on forever, just like Donald Trump can't go on forever. All right, folks, uh, thanks for tuning in, and, and uh, God bless and all that kind of stuff. Uh, good day, good night, good evening, good morning, good afternoon. Wherever you find yourself listening to the George Wilder Show, whatever time of the day, I meant to say, have a good one, okay? We're going to go out with a musical break.
Sports Wilder Jr. Show is off the air.